Are you ready to jump into some true crime docs, crime thrillers, and more? Check out our website for an extensive list of our favorite movies and shows at thesirenspodcast.com slash watch, and find our favorite true crime and thriller books and authors, some covered on the show, at thesirenspodcast.com slash author alley. You can even find special deals for Amazon Music, Audible, Discovery Plus, Paramount Plus, Showtime, and even Grubhub. If you're looking to jump in immediately, check out our pinned Facebook post for some streaming service free trials on us. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. about to take on uh, the Freeman Bible case, and there is a lot to unpack. And we're going to start with, who are we starting with? Tommy Sells. Tommy Lynn Sells. And we have kind of split up the research on this. So Mandy is going to tell you about Tommy Lynn Sells, and then later, Jeremy Jones. And then I'm going to tell you uh, about the Freeman Bible case. So here we go. Tommy Lynn Sells, he is a known serial killer who has a very busy arrest record mm-hmm. most of his life. Um, he does kind of fit the typical, more serial killer type lifestyle, you know, and serial killer type, you know, raising where he was raised. Um, abused sexually abused as a child and he he contributes his behaviors to that uh, like himself yes okay so this will give you a little bit so it's the more you know classic that you see um kind of nurture versus nature yeah. type situation yeah. um where did he grow up he grew up he was born on june 28th 1964 and he, he actually was born in California, I believe. Oh, okay. But he grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Oh. And so, and he said to ABC News um, during an interview that he became obsessed with killing at 14 years old. <gasps> Why? They, he did not say, and when they went to question him on it, he said, now you're getting too personal. So oh, oh, now we're getting too personal. Okay. Yeah, so he did not elaborate on that. Okay. <laughs> and what he, you know, who he killed at that time, or if he killed animals, or if he was just obsessed with other people and killing animals, there's not, I haven't seen any information on kind of what that entailed during that time. Did he do any fire starting at all? You know, I I don't really know him to be much of a fire starter. Yeah. Uh, I haven't found, if he was, I haven't found a lot of information about it. Hmm. Um, I do know that he was a pedophilic. Oh. He was a necrophiliac. Whoa. And he was a hebophiliac. Oh. Is that where they like blood? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's weird. It's weird that I knew that. <laughs> yeah. No. So... 
he was kind of into, you know, a lot of unusual, you know, kind of fetishes and unusual thoughts and something that a psychopath would find an everyday thought. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because and he, he even stated to ABC News that he would just go into blind rages and he would... He just doesn't care that he, what he's done, that everyone else should, you know, he would kill. Move out of the way, people. Yeah, he would still kill. Wow. If he, you know. So, he he just really did not have a lot of empathy um, or any empathy at all for his victims. Um, now, he is one that is, I think, a little bit more classic in the fact, too, that he's linked to 22 murders from coast to coast. Whoa. And so, and a lot of times when you see that kind of classic serial killer, they do travel around a lot because... You got to keep moving. Yeah. So... so If you don't want to get caught, you got to keep moving. You know, I, when I was watching, I was watching some of the interviews with him and, you know, watching, again, I'm going to bring up the ABC News interview, but he, they were saying he looked like he didn't have anything behind his eyes. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I got amusement. Mm-hmm. The more I watched him speak, mm-hmm. the more amusement I got from him, oh, which yeah. is a way of keeping control. Of like the, a cat playing with a mouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Controlling yeah. the interview. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he would say something and then when they would try to question him on it, he would draw back and say, well, that's, that's, no, I'm not going to answer that. Oh my gosh. You answer me something, you know, and he, so he would try to keep That's control. almost like narcissistic, manipulative sort of thinking there. With that. He wanted to keep it on his terms, his way. Oh, yeah. His, you know, he didn't want anybody saying something that might be kind of off his view or thoughts of what he did. Yeah. He only completed eighth grade. Yeah, he dropped dropped out. He was a barber, a mechanic, and a laborer is what he's known to be. But he was really a drifter. Okay. Um, Well, I guess those are good jobs to have if you're drifting. You can kind of fall anywhere. I'm guessing it's because, you know, like we said, people start to kind of catch on to him, so Mm -hmm. he would move on. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to kind of shoot forward to the end and then kind of come back to how he's linked um, to the Freeman Bible case. Okay. He finally did get caught because of a murder he did in Del Rio, Texas. And he killed a 13-year-old named Kayleen Katie Harris. Um, she was in a mobile home, and they were. she was staying with some family members, not her parents. Her parents were actually moving her things from Kansas because they were moving from Kansas to Del Rio, Texas. Now, I don't know where at in Kansas. I couldn't find any specific information on where they lived in Kansas, but... I know they were moving from there. It is said that he possibly had met Katie's parents through going to church and through, like, attending some church um, activities. Okay. Um, and I noticed that there was, there's kind of a trend to that. Uh, some other, some other cases that he has um, either you know been questioned on or he's confessed to have been where the family members have been very involved in church okay so he so he befriended her parents it is said um through the church 
affiliate. And then he, I'm not sure though, if he befriended them in Kansas or in Texas, because as far as I know, they were not living in Texas at the time. They still were not living there. Hmm. Her, his, her parents, Katie's parents were still in Kansas bringing their stuff to Texas. Hmm. Okay. So they think he went there with the full intention of raping Katie. That was his intention. So, which would make me think he knew where they lived. He knew where they were going. He knew their lifestyle. Yeah. um, And knew Katie. So, when you look at Del Rio, Texas, it is almost 11 hours away from the Welch, Oklahoma area. Right. So, it's quite a drive. Now, when he did this, he killed, this was on December 31st, 1999. Okay. He killed Katie, he stabbed her 16 times, and slit her throat twice. Oh, my gosh. It's awful. Um, with apparent sexual assault. Oh, my gosh. He was going to leave and then noticed another girl on the top bunk of the bunk beds. And he, she was staring at him. And it was a little girl named um, Crystal. How old was she? She was 10. She slit her throat. And she survived. Oh, my gosh. She survived, and she was able to identify him, and then that is what actually got him convicted and sent to death row. Oh, no. So... That poor girl. So, she... Crystal Searles was her name. Okay. Crystal Searles. And she was 10, spending the night over there, and she did survive, um, but she got... She saw her friend, you know, um, killed... Kind of stayed up a little later, and we got in a little fight about where we were all going to sleep. We laid there and talked a bit. Um, we talked about, at the time, like, Britney Spears and NSYNC. I woke up startled a little bit, and out of nowhere, and I was kind of confused, um, to a loud noise. I cut a bra. And I could see that there was this scary, old, older man that I'd never seen before. My staff here. And then she like jumped back and then then I cut her like like this right here. He had a hand on her mouth and the knife on her neck and she's looking at me and he just cut her throat and she fell to the ground. And she fell down right here. About to shut off the light and he looked one last time and he noticed that I was there. And he didn't hesitate at all. I mean, just shut the door, came right back towards me with the knife. I walked over here and I went like this. The only thing that he said is, move your hands, because I had him up here, and uh, he reached over the top bunk and cut my cut my neck. I am very sure he thought he killed me. To be honest, he seemed blank. I mean, there was no emotion. She put him How in horrific. prison. Yes, but the thing about this case and that I wanted to hit on was the date, December 31st, 1999. Right. So, if you look at the Bible and the Freeman case of the two girls, the day would have been the next day. Okay. So, they were abducted. The parents were killed and they were abducted on December 30th, 1999. Right. So, this was December 31st, 1999. So, it's not feasible that he was in Welch, Oklahoma and then traveled over 11 hours to do this murder well, these almost two murders. Yes. In that amount of time. It would have been hard. He yeah. did say in an interview that he was 
having very little sleep. He was on methamphetamines and he was just running on adrenaline. Mm. I don't know, you know, this is, if you're running on adrenaline and you're not getting any sleep, I would think that you're, it would be sloppy. There would be, you know, not a lot of time for you to really cover up and, uh, you know, completely do away with your crime scene. Well, and um, the reason why we bring this up is because Tommy actually confessed. Yes. To the Freeman Bible murders and and kidnapping Laura and Ashley. But the thing about that is, is that here we're saying we had two murder victims in that home. Mm-hmm. We had two girls that were abducted and never found again. And he has to figure out what to do with them mm-hmm. in that amount of time of also having to drive all the way back that 11 hours or whatever mm-hmm. to commit these next murders while having to have vetted those other two girls at least in a fashion to get him into the home and to know where they would be and all of that stuff so it's really probably not likely yes. that he had anything to do with it yes and he he crawled in the window of Katie Harris's family's home, mm-hmm. um, her extended family. I'm not sure if it was cousins or who she was staying with, aunt and uncle, but it was extended family. He crawled into the window, the window that was open, supposedly. I mean, were there adults in this home that night? What were they doing? There was. They were sleeping. In fact, Crystal had said, the surviving victim, she had said after she left the house, she went to, in an interview, went to a neighbor's house and with her throat slit. Oh my gosh. Yes, Ten-year-old little girl. And said, I think everyone in the house is killed. Because oh. according to you know her, she thought he had killed everyone. Yeah. But he didn't. He only came after those two girls. And he just left them there just like that. Mm. So it was not a calculated, it was very, like I said, it was very kind of sloppy. You know, it was yeah. not, there was no cleaning up. With this situation, it really... You know, you look at these other cases, and they look similar, of course, because these are two young girls. Yeah. And they had been, you know, one of them survived, but they had been attacked brutally. Mm-hmm. And there was some sexual assault involved. Um, but it, it, I think with the timeline, and the, the police also thought with the timeline, it just was probably not possible for yeah. him to be involved in in both cases that close that would be doing a lot like i know that drugs like keep keep, revs you up and keeps you going but like that would be a lot yes a lot and within 24 hours yes so he would have had to drop the girls off maybe in pitcher and then yeah drive straight drive straight to texas and and know exactly what he was going to do when he got to texas yes after having done two murders and possibly four murders. <laughs> I mean, that's yes. a lot. That's a lot. Yes. And yeah. so he, you know, he's, he was kind of ruled out, um, with the, with the murders of, you know, of the Freeman, of the Freeman parents and the abduction of the girls. But he did write a letter on May 10th of 2002. And when he confessed, to the Joplin Globe newspaper saying he went into a blind rage during the killings and, and couldn't remember facts, quote. Oh. And so he actually wrote that letter to them. 
and so he basically this. said i was so high i don't know if i did it yes or not. wow yes okay and so that is that is how he got involved in being looked at for for the bible freeman okay um case okay which he actually confessed to quite a few murders because that's how he got caught so i'm guessing everything he did up to that point they had no idea who did it well yes and well he had been in and out of prison he had started with the two-year sentence for felony theft uh in and I think in 1983, and then he was confined for eight months and released, or 1984, I'm sorry, and then released on parole on December 18th of 1985, then back with the DUI in prison for 16 months, and then released again. In and out, in and out. In and out, in and out. Um, he went to the Wyoming Department of Corrections on a two-year sentence for vehicle theft, then 16 months and discharged. What, were these all in the same state or were these kind of scattered across these the states? These were scattered. Wow. These okay. were scattered. And okay. Then the D- Department of Wyoming Corrections on a two to 10 year sentence for malicious wounding released on parole. What does that mean? Like assault with a deadly weapon there, I guess, maybe? It, they didn't specify. I actually wow. looked at the at the prison records and yeah. it didn't specify huh. on that. Weird. But so he was in and out. I mean, this had been something that he had been caught for several other things but as far as murders and murdering he had not at to this point been convicted for november 18th of 1987 so we're stepping back before he got caught back to his days of being in and out of prison there was a family called the dardines i want to make I hope i correct said that correctly there was rudy dardine um, she, I think she went by Eileen. There was Russell Dardine, 29. She was 30. Their three-year-old son, Peter, and she was pregnant with a baby girl. So this was November 18th, 1987. And they lived in Ina, Illinois, which is a small town in Illinois. But from everything I've read, there was a lot of crime recently there. Okay. There was supposedly about 15 murders in two years. Whoa. And in a small town like that, that, that that's a lot. Yeah. And so the dad was wanting to move them out of that area. Obviously. For obvious reasons. Because there was starting to be a lot of crime, but he was there, from what I know, on a job. Okay. So the wife was murdered. The little boy was murdered. Oh. And she had went into labor during this beating. Oh. She was beaten with a baseball bat. Okay. So they were both beaten with a baseball bat um, to the point where she went into labor. And the the oh. baby came, was born, it was a little girl, and the baby was beaten to death. Yes. Wow. What a vile human. Yes, it is awful. So they figured the dad was nowhere to be found, so they figured the dad had be you know had killed the family and then left except the dad was found in a field not too far away and he was had been shot a couple times in the head oh so you know this was a horrible horrible crime tommy sells lynn sells confessed to this crime and said he had met the dad at a truck stop and the dad had invited him home to eat dinner 
and he had attacked and killed the family. This is some crap that my husband would do. Just meet somebody on the street and be like, you know what? Come home with us. I'm like, what are you doing, man? You can't, you can't do that. And it that blows my mind because of all of these murders you're saying happened in the area. And he was trying to move them out of there. Yet he's just like, oh, here's some strange guy. Come home with me. But then again, that's what Tommy is saying happened. Yes. My question is... If they didn't know who did all of this, why did he even confess to it? You know, that is a good question. And he won't, he, from what I've seen, he won't answer that. He starts to back, back, you know, trace and say, nah, I'm not going to talk to you if you're going to ask wow. me those questions. But the family said that the husband would not have invited him back to the house because he was very protective right before the murders of his family because yeah. of the crime going on in the area. I bet you that he's just making some crap up and he's like, you know what? Like he probably actually followed that guy home or something. Well, they, they did not think the police did not think that he at the time committed those crimes. Um, I don't know what, what evidence they have to that, Yeah, but he was never, never, never charged with it, never charged with that crime. Okay. But I'm guessing that crime is probably still technically like unsolved. It's unsolved. Yes. And so. So sad. Oh my gosh. I know. I I don't care who did it. That human is vile. Yes. It's awful. And so, you know, so they wanted to put that um, on Oprah. Oprah show. Okay. And Oprah would not do it because of the brutality. Too, yeah, too graphic, too brutal. But he, so he confessed to the murders, but that were unsolved for those, but they were never substantiated on him. So, and that was the first one that in his timeline he's supposed to have committed. Well, that's the first one that he has actually went and said, I confess to this, but there are more. Okay. What he was convicted of strangling a nine-year-old little girl named Mary Perez during an outdoor festival in April 1999 in San Antonio, Texas. And so he was convicted of that. Did he confess to that one? He did. Okay. He confessed to that one. He was in San Quentin before he was put to death on April 3rd, 2014 by lethal injection in San Antonio. He was 49 years old. Oh my goodness. So he was put to death. But he had confessed, and I'm guessing he doesn't say, but maybe confessed so they would take him off death row. Yeah. Well, that's usually what happens is they go, oh, oh, wait a second. You can't kill me. I have so much information that you need. So, but if you kill me, you can't get this information. And people, so many, I mean, it's not that people are, you know, quote unquote, buying into it. It's that that people legitimately want to try to solve these cases and if there's just an inkling that they can do that for someone for someone's family out there then of course they're going to have to take that you know and run with it but uh, it just makes me wonder how many of those how many did you say 22 22 is what he is, is what he claims or is what he claims okay but they you know, they don't necessarily know yeah. on some of these whether 
that was true or not. You know, some of these could have been true. In July 1985, which would have been before the 1987 murder. Yeah. In Forsyth, Missouri. So he traveled around. Quite a bit. There was thought to be a murder of a 28-year-old mom and her four-year-old son. Well, you know, he seems to have a theme. I can tell you that. If it is him. And so, there, I don't see anything about burning down, you know... These any- poor babies. I'm telling you what. You come at me when I got my kid in here. I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. Oh, yeah. I can tell you that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he... You know, so there is. there seems to be always... You know, children involved yeah. or young, you know, it, it's just a very sad and you really don't know with him what's true and what's not. Because yeah. a lot of times, you know, psychopaths or serial killers will admit to things so they can get special privileges or they can get off. You know, they think that it'll save their life. So it's all about them. Well, I mean, it's like Ted Bundy who with yes. withheld information up until right before he was about to be executed. And then he was like, oh, wait, wait, I have some things to tell you. Well, and he also was, he also said, you know, right before he was, um, you know, put to death that, oh, I'm going to help you solve the Green River Killer case. Oh, Ted Bundy did. You know, he, I'm going to help you get Ridgeway. And he would tell them how he was probably like his putting, mo mm-hmm. i mean yeah that is like crucial information i think from someone with a brain that works like that but also it doesn't it doesn't get you a pass you know it doesn't get you past from what you've done so far Yes. And and that's always the question of should we be executing them or should we be putting them to life and then studying their brains? But I think we can I think we can maybe manage both. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, Ted Bunny's brain was studied quite a bit yeah. before and I know some there's some, you know, pictures of his of his brain and the workings of it that you know they did where it shows the empathy part of his brain mm-hmm. is completely not lit up and i know they did the same thing with kemper and a bunch of other serial killers that i know that that is like invaluable information but you also have to wonder how much of that information is factual like how much of it that you're getting is the truth and not just something made up to blow smoke because that's what and this you know i always think about this too is that they're going to tell you anything to get what they want. Right. And so, you know, just like with Tommy Lynn's, I mean, there there are quite a few victims over the years that he has confessed to. But which ones of those did he really commit? Yeah. Or is he trying to get off of death, you know? Well, I mean, and if they're they're gone, it's not like they can stand up and go, uh-uh, he didn't do this to me. You know, it's not like they can speak for themselves. Yes. So, you can say anything you want, I guess. And with him being a drifter, you know, it would have been easy for him to say, I was in the area, you oh, know, yeah. it was me. And yeah. there, it's all, there's always an agenda. It's not ever mm-hmm. because they're trying to, you know, clear the air. Yeah. It, it's, it's not about that. Henry Lee Lucas basically made all of that up. And it was literally just so he could go out, get out time of yes. prison so that he could go out because he they're taking him all over these places and he's going, oh, this is where I buried the body. He's just getting out of prison, you know, for a couple hours, four hours, whatever. And they're bringing him food and they're bringing him milkshakes. I mean, 
when you when they figure out that it's not just about the information that you can get other things with it they're gonna milk it oh yes oh yes and you know when you don't have any empathy when you don't have any empathy for others and for things that you've done it's really easy to talk about things in a general manner and talk about maybe things you have done or you might have not done in a very general manner that is like it's an everyday yeah and I've noticed that they talk about things not necessarily as if they're remorseful like they don't they don't withhold or tell information because they're remorseful or anything like that it's mostly it's mostly logical like what what's this going to get what am I going to get out of this or is this going to get me in more trouble it's not that they care no and it's not about the victims or the victims families because you know when you when you think about you know them they're smart so when, when you have someone that's on death row and they're, I'm going to confess to this murder mm-hmm. and people forget they can learn a lot what's going on outside of, even though they're, they might be in confinement for a while. Yeah. They're still going to learn what's going on outside of. There are ways of getting information. Yes. And so when they say, I'm going to confess to this, of course, these family members who maybe not know who this person is, or maybe never suspected them of the murder of their loved one is going to say, well, wait a minute, we want to know about this because if there is some chance of it being the truth, I want to know because I want to know where my loved one is or especially you know, if they're missing. Yes. And it's not just murder, but they're missing. Yeah. So that, so these, these killers are very, very smart to this and very savvy to this. So they know if they do that, then they're going to be put back a little until they, you know, are, are given their credibility is not good right and so that's a lot of times why they will come out and confess to things that they did not do yeah yeah um and and so people always ask well why would you confess to something you didn't do well that's why and this isn't just speculation she's a psychologist (laughs) y'all well i teach this in my class in my victimology class and so and so you know i it's it's very interesting psychologically that they are very savvy to this and they know if I do this, then they'll put me on the back burner and I'll get to have a little bit more time. Yeah. And that's all they think about in there is ways to get out Mm -hmm. ways to, to get something, to get something and make their life a little better. Mm -hmm. And so that's why when you have people like Tommy Lynn sells and you have his crimes and you hear him talk on an interview he was when I heard him talk on the ABC News interview. He was telling the ABC News newscaster that he would crush his head into the sidewalk what? if he was out right then. Yes, what? just what? like in a matter of fact way. Oh, you mean like he was threatening the? Yes. Oh my gosh! Because he said, "What would you do to me if you were out?" He said, "I'd probably crush your head into the sidewalk." What? Yeah, I quote. <laughs> yes, that's wild. If you watch that news if you watch that news interview from My from death Lord. row and that, i think that was his last one he did before he was holy put to death. cow wow the first time i killed somebody and it was such a rush i was raised to do time i wasn't raised to live out there in in that world i like to use a knife a, a gun is too too violent to to too noisy, but just fit my hand well. I'm not Billy the Kid making notches on on my my uh, holster 
So I know it's been a lot. I, I don't have an on and off switch. I'm just after that drug. I'm after that feeling. It's complicated. It's when people enter my life, they get hurt. A lot of jerking, a lot of movement. It's a physical, you become part of it. I don't have no feelings, no emotion. I like to watch the eyes fade, the pupil fade. It's just like setting their soul free. We asked Sells what would happen if we said something that angered him. If we was in a fight and you know, get your head down in the concrete, then, you know, so be it. But, well, what do you think happened? It cracked like a coconut. But there is something that's kind of interesting about this. Okay. Um, so, give in, it to me. In, <laughs> and you're like, more? That's interesting about this case? So, in 2016, nearly 17 years after the attack, a man named Alvin Willie George who was 25 years old, began sending images of Katie being deceased and bloody crime scene photos to Crystal Searles that survived, the 10-year-old little girl that survived, and her sisters. This happened in Boise, Idaho. That's where they lived at the time. I have so many questions, but continue. (laughs) He said he did not know Crystal or her family, he would use several Facebook accounts that he created that were fake and send harassing and intimidating messages to these women and threaten to rape and kill them. What? Yes, because he was obsessed with... Oh, he wanted to be like Tommy. I'm. It doesn't say specifically, but I'm guessing. This is how copycats are made. Yes. So they caught him. And anytime, and the reason I wanted to talk about this, because I do talk about this in my class, anytime you use social media to stalk or send things, that is a federal offense automatically. So the other night, my husband gets a message mm-hmm. from a previous coworker because she feels safe with him and she knows what I do for a living. And so she wanted to know what my thoughts were, like what should I be doing? Okay, so she said... She sent him, forward him this message that this guy sent her through Facebook Messenger. And it said, if you think you're going to get away with what you did to me in 2019, you're dead wrong. And then it was literally, ha, 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 like in the big, in big caps. And then underneath it was a snuff film. It was like seven seconds of a snuff film of a guy getting decapitated. Then underneath that was three or GIFs in a row that were like very upbeat, like kittens going, see you soon. And another one with a happy face going, I'm on my way and stuff like that. She had said that previous to that, someone had pulled up in her driveway and had just pulled up and had their headlights on at night and just sat there. And she was like too afraid to go out there and see what was going on and then she said during that time two other cars pulled up and had their headlights on next to that car and then they just pulled away under that text message later this person had sent it said something like I know where you work and I'll be seeing you and stuff like that well she lives in a different county than she works and he who she thinks this person is lives in a different county than those two counties and so she was like I don't know what to do 
I don't know who to file a report to. I don't know. And I said, everybody, everybody. I said, you need to go to where you work and file a report. You need to go to where you live and file a report. And you need to go to where he lives and file a report. And if you have to sit there and write up one report and then Xerox it and hand it out, that's what you need to do. If you think it's him, you need to get a protective order. You need to get cameras installed. (laughs) You need to probably go stay with a friend or something for a while. But she said she wanted to call in to work that weekend. She is a paramedic. And um, she wanted to call in to work because she was afraid to go to work. And I said, no, you need to go to work. Because when you pull in and you park, all of that is gated. You have to have a pass to get in. Not only that, but you have a partner all night long that is right there with you all night long watching your every move for 12 hours. And there are cameras in that ambulance. So that, and on the premises as well. So that might be the safest place for you right now. I'm pretty sure that that's some sort of felony, right? It's cyber stalking. That, okay. that video and that threatening is cyber stalking and that is a federal offense. And you can actually, you can, they'll, they would, I'm not sure what they would advise you if you contacted straight the, you know, the cyber stalking, the cyber stalking website. You can oh, actually yeah. get on that with oh. the federal um, government and you can go straight to them. Oh, you can go straight nice. to them. See, now, I didn't know that. Would they tell you to go do this and this and this? Mm-hmm. They might, but you yeah. can go straight to them. Um, yeah. Anything like that, that is over social media mm-hmm. is a federal offense. Nice. And so that automatically makes it where you're not just dealing with county or city or state. See, that I wish I would have. I was like so hyped up in that moment. I should have asked you about it. But. Well, you know, and, and people don't. People, it's still a good idea to, if you need, you know, a paper trail to go yes. and file these oh, yes. at these other places. But now we know. You well, can go straight to them. Them pulling up in her driveway, yeah. even though technically no one's really probably going to do anything about that because they could have just said they're turning around exactly yeah you still if you went to your local which depends on where you live whether the county or the city would be over that you would file a report you would still have that written yes yeah and it's also a good idea anytime you think someone is stalking you or you have someone that is and when I say stalking Sometimes I have to, I tell my students, I said, yes, texting, all those things are stalking, but I mean stalking. Like legitimately following you. Yes. Like it, behind you right now. Like yes. watching your every move. Not just like I looking over you. your Facebook yes. page. And no. It's like legitimately being physically there and following you. Yes. And or sitting outside of your home and watching you. Yes. Yeah. That is, you know... People will say, oh, well, they text my ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, text me, I miss you, they're stalking me, because I didn't no. give them permission. No. That... Block their number. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that really is not... I think it gets used too loosely, and that might be sometimes why yeah. it's not prosecuted a whole lot, and why it's not looked at so seriously. Right. Yeah. Um, stalking, real stalking, is when someone is giving you unwanted unwanted you know and I know a text message from your ex might be unwanted but that is not the same thing as someone wanting to do harm to you it's not the same as them standing behind you in Walmart and following you out to the yes 
parking garage or whatever. Like, yeah. And it's not them sending you a threatening, you know, like you just mentioned, decapitation video. I mean, that's not the same thing. So really, um, you know, it's something if someone is really stalking you, yes, being there at the being where she worked would probably been the safest place for her being in public is the safest place for you and and that's what I told her too I was like look you need to get like I don't know who you live with or whatever but if you live by yourself you have got to go stay somewhere for a while yes you know have friends go and install cameras in your home for you or something but you need to go stay somewhere else because you need to be around people you do and even a hotel where you could use a different name to yeah. register or have someone register for you yeah. that this person doesn't know. Um, you know, even that is safer because even though the person could follow you to the hotel, a lot of times with the new hotels, you know, you have to have keys to get up in the elevator past right. a certain time yeah. and all this. And even that's safer. I mean, yeah. anything is safer where you've got other people around you. Right. Um, and not isolated. Yeah. And we're talking about like a hotel. Yes. Not like where all of the doors Doors, are on the outside. We're talking about you have to go into a lobby. You have to pass a camera and a guy at the door. Like that's what we're talking about. So, (laughs) And that's even safer. I mean, because, you know, like I said, at nighttime, it's going to be a lot harder for someone to to get up there. And then they'd have to have a key to your door. And even if, I mean, it would just. have to sneak around and not be seen. And and you have, you know, you have people right next to you. It's just, it's it's just a lot more safer environment. If you're in your car, I tell people, go to the nearest gas station the nearest public if there's not a police station around go to the nearest public place yeah do not get out of the vehicle up here we have so many quick trips and they're and they're considered safe spaces they have on cues yeah yeah and so just drive up there honk honk your horn until somebody comes out lay on your horn and don't lay off of it and do not stop and do not get out of your vehicle driving around and around and around the parking lot on your horn like a crazy person you want to make a scene you want to make the biggest scene you can so i'm sorry i totally veered us off of that i derailed this it's it's something that i think it's important for people to know yeah I do too and especially in cases where you have you know people like Tommy Lynn Sells yeah it's very important so I'm wondering where did this guy get these pictures from where did he get the crime scene pictures from to send this crystal girl the George the Alvin Willie George yeah where did he get them they're online (gasps) oh what they were online I don't know if they are now but I've even seen of her of a of a child yeah i've seen it oh my gosh so you know this is the thing with google if you can pretty much find anything (sighs) if you look long and hard enough and that's the sad reality um it doesn't show her face in the picture i saw but you can see her body oh my gosh and so i'm guessing that's where he got it from is from because they were just easily accessible. Hard, yeah, probably hard search. <gasps> and again, when you have information on cases, if there are children, a lot of times those those that case information is not just open to the public. Now, right. adults, it is, but not children. Right. Um, but someone can always get something somewhere. Well, and like with Oklahoma... This is something that I've noticed a lot. When you even look at court records, so the court records, they usually use the first initial and the last Mm -hmm. initial. 
well, there's something to start with. And a lot of states are like that. Now, Texas is one. No, you can't get anything in Texas. (laughs) (laughs) No, you cannot. Um, Missouri's pretty open, like Oklahoma. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just open. Now, the one thing I will say about Missouri's, though, is that you have to be on a secure server to get on their court records. You cannot get on their court records without a secure server. So if you're at home Uh or you're just... On your phone, you cannot get on their records. Wow. You have to have something that is completely secure, which is good because I think the Oklahoma one, you can just get on it. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. For sure. anything. You can just do whatever you want. Yeah. So, yeah, that one's... And then, you know, you have places like Colorado where you have to look it up by county. Yes, I know. Yes. And I was about to say, most of those places, you have to physically go down there Mm -hmm. and request to do the FOIA request records and stuff like that. And it costs. I mean, they're not free. Yeah. very sometimes difficult. That's to- why a lot of private investigators don't cross state lines. <laughs> yes. Um, so how long did this guy send this stuff and stalk this girl until he was he was caught? He was sentenced to 51 months in federal prison for cyber stalking. That's it. That's it. I mean, it's still something, but that's it. And I believe it was two years. Jeez. Around two years. No, no, I'm sorry. It was a year. It was right at a year that he did that. Right almost to the day of a year. Holy cow. And so you can imagine Crystal has been victimized twice. Yeah. And even though she was 10 years old when the other happened, I mean, in her, she wit, you know, she witnessed him. She saw his face, Tommy Lynn's cell's face. So she knew it was him. Right. But you can imagine... The whole time, even after he was executed, that she would still be in fear. I mean, I think I would be for the rest of my life. Nightmares. I can't imagine. And so, even though she was the one that actually put him on death row, and she was the one he was convicted. He had been convicted before that, you know, of the the younger girl I was talking about. You know, how do you know that at some point... You know, someone else isn't going to like you, like you have this happen. Yeah. Going to copycat him. And that did happen to her. So even yeah. as an adult, and from what I read, he even threatened to her son. She has a son and he threatened her. I mean, threatened him. Oh my gosh. And so, you know, that's just, he said, your, your son's never going to know you and I'm going to kill him. And I mean, just all these things. And so you have to, stalking and cyber stalking is just as victimizing as someone that is doing it in person. Right. Cyber stalking is just as victimizing. Well, and I think the fear with cyber stalking is you don't know where that person actually is at any given time because everybody has a cell phone in their Mm -hmm. hands. He could be on your front lawn. Mm -hmm. He could be in California. He could be in Venezuela. We don't know. And that's the scary part is that you just don't know where that person is at, at any given time. Yeah. So it's, it's sad. And, you know, the cyber stalking carries up to a five year prison sentence, which I think wow. is not enough. Much. Yeah, it does. It does. And it carries, I think, $250,000 fine. So are those are those the only ones that he confessed to? No, there is. I mean, he, can, he's, can, he confessed to 22 of there's them. There's a list. But these are the ones that we know he did, right? Um, these well now the Dardines other than the, the other than the family but these are the ones they actually know he did okay. there's not very many of them that they actually know that he committed like could 
link him with actual evidence. Yes. Okay. Um, but there's got if he's if he's capable of doing that to those two little girls, yeah. he's capable of oh, doing yeah. a lot of things. So, yeah. you know, there's probably you know, and he did he did um, kill the little girl that I had talked about, Mer- Mary Perez, and he was um, that's one of his convictions. Oh man. Is that he, you know, was her and at an amusement park at a fiesta and that was in San Antonio. And I say that's what put him away for good, but it was Marie Perez. Yeah. That's what gave him the death penalty. Yeah. He was executed April 3rd, 2014 by lethal injection. Wow, that, that's pretty close to, I don't know why I was thinking it was like 2002 or something. Yeah. But was, that's pretty close to today that's much closer than he was alive for quite a while and you know that's normal for them to be yeah because you get so many appeals until you exhaust them right i suffer more here than i'll ever suffer in that grave i have to live with it every day now when they kill me at least i'll be free then after he was executed, they actually opened a case into his execution saying it wasn't ethical. What? Because they said he was sleeping. I don't know if you remember, it was on Wait, what? the media. And I had no, seen this when it happened. I don't remember any of this. I never followed this case, so. And he was snoring during the execution. Are you kidding? No, and then he just died. And oh so my God. one of the victim's family members was... I, was I think it was Crystal Searle's mother I'm not completely confident on that but that she said well look what he did to his victims and he just got to sleep you know and so but they said that because it didn't kill him right away that he was actually awake for a while sleeping that he suffered and this is true yes (laughs) you could google that wow Thank you guys for listening. Uh, This is technically, I don't know, we have a lot to cover with this whole saga we're doing here. So um, stick with us. We're going to continue our saga on the next episode. Yes. Thank you guys so much. You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?